0: Lord, thank you for that song. Thank you for the truth that it contains and that it speaks to us this morning. And Lord, that is our prayer. That is our hope. Lord, not I, but Christ through me. Lord, as we continue to uh, explore scripture together, that by your word and by your spirit, uh, we will grow closer to you. We love you, Jesus, in your name. Amen. So we recently began this new sermon series called Challenge Accepted, where we're looking at uh, different um, spiritual disciplines, most would call them, or exercise, and each month we'll have a different focus on, on a different spiritual discipline, and uh, this month is fasting, that's how we're, we're kicking off the year, and, and actually uh, 10 days of prayer and fasting is, should probably just be part of our routine anyways, that's a great way to start off the year and, and kick off the, the year. And um, so I was encouraged that, that you guys do some fasting. Now, last week and, and this week, a lot of freedom was given for you to customize this, um, just kind of how, how you want to do it. But, but the general recommendation was to pick some kind of routine food event and then replace that with prayer and Bible reading during that time. And so whether that's a breakfast or a lunch or afternoon snack or whatever, uh, and to do 10 days of it. So it's suggested, you know, Monday to Friday and Monday to Friday. But again, um, sometimes with work or travel or medical condition, you got to adjust that. And so full freedom to do that. Um, That's what, uh, so... This last week has been interesting. I did the Monday to Friday and, and set off the times as as ten to five because I find it's helpful to have a very distinct start and stop times, kind of know where when the finish line is. Uh, and it's been interesting. Day one was super easy, uh, and then day two was just miserable and distracting. Um, and it wasn't it wasn't so much the like I was hungry, just like the difficulty in focusing and constant, I don't know, it was weird. Tuesday was a mess. Uh, and then other days were better, right? Like Wednesday and Thursday and, and that kind of thing. So it's been um, just kind of an interesting journey. It was also rather kind of interesting, and I never really expected this, but... Just to have casual conversations with people about, oh, how's your fasting going, right? Like, I've never done that before. You know, like you just meet up at a ball game and you're like, oh, how's the fasting going? You know, I don't know. It was just, it was kind of interesting and, and kind of fun to, to do that. Um, one thing, though, that, you know, I shared last week that's been very helpful for me, right? To, to find the thing that's more important to you than food right? To, to go into this just kind of flippantly doesn't work, right? There, there's not enough kind of passion or, or interest in there. Like, what's the thing where if, the, where, where if God were to answer this prayer and this were to come about, like that's more important than, than food to you. And sometimes you can measure it immediately and sometimes you won't know this side of heaven, right? But, but that thing that, that's more, um, more important to you than food. Um, you may recall also that we talked about fasting or spiritual discipline like as training or, or exercise and and try to use some of that terminology uh, about it just because sometimes spiritu- to call it a spiritual discipline sometimes confuses us on what is success because success is not being disciplined success is seeing change and so this idea of it as, as an exercise. WWJD? I don't know if you guys remember that. Um, it was a bracelet, super popular for a while. Uh, some youth leader came up with the idea and made bracelets for her youth group, and then some company got a hold of it and it uh, went like international. And it was crazy popular for a while. Um, but I mean, it was a good idea, but just that, you know, we face daily decisions and and we want to do what Jesus would do. And so, so this idea that we want to behave like Jesus, we want to act like Jesus. We want to make the same decisions as Jesus and, and do it the way that he would do great stuff. All of that is really, really great stuff and very noble. If someone were to approach you and say, you should do a marathon. 26.1 miles, and in fact, let's do it this afternoon, meet at the church, start at 2, we should be done in a couple hours, right? For most of us, and I'll include myself on that list, that would be a horrible idea. Like, just a really, really bad idea. Because we haven't trained for it, we haven't conditioned ourselves for it, we don't have the strength, we don't have a stamina... And even if we did finish it, like we'd just be hospitalized for like the next three days, right? And so it's great that you want to do it, but you would probably be unable to do it. So we are saved by grace, completely true. But being fully and completely saved by grace does not automatically mean that we instantly and automatically have the strength of character to always do the right thing. Jesus, sinless, perfect, son of God, Jesus still started off his ministry with a 40-day fast. Um, Throughout his ministry, would frequently spend time alone, Frequ- frequently spent time alone in prayer before he chose the 12 disciples, pulled an all nighter in prayer before he did that. If Jesus needed to do those things, perfect, sinless Jesus needed to do those things, how much more so do you and I need to do those things? Right? Because it's very noble to talk about, like, what would Jesus do? And let's live like Jesus. We don't want to live like Paul. ...and to talk about always wanting to make the right decisions... ...but the will to do those things... ...without also the will to prepare... ...or to train... ...right, the way that Jesus did. It's not enough to just say, I want... ...you know, what would Jesus do in the moment... ...but also to embrace that entire lifestyle... ...so that we can make those decisions. Um, Dallas Willard had a great line... ...it's actually a whole kind of great chapter... But at one point he writes this, he goes, it is part of the misguided and whimsical condition of humankind that we do devoutly believe in the power of effort at the moment of action alone to accomplish what we want and completely ignore the need for character change in our lives as a whole. So these spiritual exercises, like fasting and prayer and Bible reading and small groups and all that stuff, at times they are uncomfortable, and at times they are difficult, and sometimes they are easy, and sometimes they are fun, right? But when done right, they change you, and they make you stronger. Now, and just a reminder, as we really kind of get into this technically, and we talked about this last week as well too, you know, the spiritual disciplines, they don't necessarily change you, but they put you in a place where the Holy Spirit can change you. Um, in Jesus' days, certain religious leaders would fast, but they would make a big show of it to show off to everyone like how awesomely spiritual they were. And so Jesus scolds them and actually gives a warning to us on doing fasting wrong. And so um, Matthew six seventeen: When you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites... For they disfigure their faces, that their fasting may be seen by others. Which is a, uh, that's really bad. Um, Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you fast, anoint your head, and wash your face, their equivalent of taking a shower, like look normal. That your fasting may not be seen by others, but um, by your father who is in secret. And your father who sees in secret will reward you. So, yeah, when you're disfiguring your face to show off to the world that you're fasting, like, that, that, that is pretty bad. And even, it was, it's amazing when you start to look for it. Isaiah has this whole chapter where God is rebuking them because, you know, they were doing fasting, but they were neglecting social justice in such an awful way. I mean, basically he says, like, look, your fasting is meaningless to me because of all these other sins that, that you haven't repented for and, and haven't changed. So just a reminder that fasting doesn't change us, but it puts us in a place where the Holy Spirit can change us. Um, it is, it's, it's been interesting because fasting is kind of one of those things where you don't really notice it until you start to look for it, and then you see it everywhere. Um, and there are so many stories, especially in the Old Testament, of people incorporating fasting. and. Um, and, uh, and even like the big names from the Old Testament. I'm not sure the Christianese version of saying that, right? But like the like the, the dominant names of people in the Old Testament and the way that, that they incorporated this. And the variety of ways in which they did it. I mean the purpose and, and the style um, varied between all of them. Um, and so, part, so for today I want to look at some of those stories. Because we have really focused in on... Fasting as something to accompany an intercessory prayer, right? Like the challenge was, hey, find something that's important to you, pray and fast about that. But that's really only one style of fasting that we see um, in, used in, in Scripture, particularly the Old Testament. One of the most striking and miraculous examples of fasting is when Moses receives the Ten Commandments. Um, And this is perhaps one of the first times that that we see it in scripture. Um, When I went up to the mountain to receive the tablets of stone, the tablets of the covenant of the Lord made with you, I remained on the mountain 40 days and 40 nights. I neither ate bread nor drank water. Now I'm going to keep going here. Uh, The Lord gave me the two tablets of stone written with the finger of God, On them were all the words the Lord had spoken with you on the mountain, out of the midst of the fire on the day of assembly. And at the end of 40 days and 40 nights, the Lord gave me the two tablets of stone, the tablets of the covenant. Then the Lord said to me, Arise, go down quickly from here, for your people whom you have brought up from Egypt have acted corruptly. They have turned aside quickly out of the way that I commanded them. They had made themselves a metal image. Right? So these Moses is only gone like 40 days, and already the people go off the rails. Um, verse 15, so I turned, I came down from the mountain. The mountain was burning with fire. The two tablets of the covenant were uh, with me in my two hands. I looked, and behold, you had sinned against the Lord your God. You had made yourselves a golden calf. You had turned aside quickly from the way that the Lord had commanded you. So I took hold of the two tablets and threw them out of my hands and broke them before your eyes. Verse 18. Then I lay prostrate before the Lord as before 40 days and 40 nights. I neither ate bread nor drank water because of all the sins that you had committed in doing what was evil in the sight of the Lord to provoke him to anger. So Moses goes up on on the mountain. He gets the Ten Commandments. During that time, 40 days, 40 nights, he doesn't eat anything. He doesn't drink anything. So it's a complete fast. And normally that would kill you. But god intervenes and and he does it what's interesting is that you'll note in the story it's quiet on why he does the 40-day fast like we like we really don't know but then he comes down off the mountain and they've behaved badly and they've got this image and all these other kinds of things and so moses immediately goes into a second 40-day 40 fast um and he and he says i basically I, i lay prostrated before the lord so praying for them 40 days, 40 nights, didn't eat anything, drink anything. And so immediately another 40 day fast. But in this second one, what you see is that he is, he's really, it's, it's a prayer of repentance for someone else, right? Like they have sinned in a really bad way. And so he enters into this prayer of repentance for, for someone else. So Moses goes all like almost three months, no food or water for the first one, why? We don't really know. The second one, for the, the purpose of re- of repentance. So that's really the first example we see in all of Scripture, is repentance. And even repentance on behalf of someone else, which isn't, like, you don't hear a lot about that, right? Like, especially in North America, we're so individualized in our thinking, you know, the idea that I'm actually going to enter into repentance on behalf of someone else. Like, we would almost find that offensive, right? Like, pfft. I didn't commit the sin. They can do it, you know? Um, so anyways, a lot we could do there. Um, one of the next stories that we see in Scripture is the story of King David. And this one's actually a sad story. This one's kind of a hard story. Um, David, you know, he's king of Israel. He has an affair with a married woman named Bathsheba. She gets pregnant. So to cover up the crime, um, David orders her husband. He's in the military. Um, she order, He orders him. Uh, to go on this difficult mission where he probably get killed, and that's what happens. So her husband is killed. David marries Bathsheba, and then they just kind of hope everyone's bad at math, right? So, but God, and they hide all of this, but God knows this, and, and so he sends in a prophet by the name of Nathan to confront David. Nathan confronts David. David repents of his sin. But God tells him that the child will die. So the child is born, and he gets sick. So David fasts and prays. For the child to be healed. David therefore sought, sought God on behalf of the child. And David fasted and went in and lay all night on the ground. And the elders of his house stood beside him to raise him from the ground, but he would not eat, nor did he eat food with them. On the seventh day, the child died. So presumably, David does this for seven days. The child is not healed. God remains true to his word, and, and the child passes away. And then after the, the child passes away, David gets up and cleans himself off and, and starts to eat. And the servants are really confused, almost like offended or mad about it. Then his servant said to him, What is this thing that you have done? You fasted and wept for the child while he was alive, but when the child died, you arose and ate food? He said, While the child was still alive, I fasted and wept, for I said, Who knows whether the Lord will be gracious to me that the child may live? But now he is dead. Why should I fast? Can I bring him back again? I shall go to him, but he will not return to me. And as a side note, actually, it's that story in that line is part of what informs our theology around unborn children going into heaven or or young children, because with David's line saying, I will go to him, right, suggests you know, David entering into heaven with a child. The other part that informs that theology is where John the Baptist actually has the Holy Spirit before he's even born, right? So anyways, there's more that we could kind of unpack on that and our theology around that, but this is part of it that that informs that theology. So we have fasting, but it's for the, the purpose, it's connected with prayer and intercession, but very much around a desire for physical healing. But the hard part, though, is that the prayer is not answered. Um, so it's a hard story Then you have the story of elijah Elijah is a prophet in the old testament jezebel was uh, queen of israel for a while. She was really horrible. Her husband ahab was also really awful I find it amazing because she is she was so bad That even today we use the word jezebel to describe like a wicked mean woman Right, like you've probably heard that phrase like Ugh, she's such a jezebel Right? Like, we still throw that around. It's not a compliment if you've heard it before, right? Like, we're talking about this person being really, really bad. So, I'm not sure how bad you have to be that you have that reputation for like 4,000 years, but she was bad. She promises to kill Elijah. He goes into hiding. And then we read this Um, uh, But he, Elijah, himself went a day's journey into the wilderness, came and sat down under a tree, uh, and he asked that he might die saying, It is enough now, O Lord. Take away my life. I am no better than my father's. He lay down and slept under a broom tree. Behold, an angel touched him and said, Arise and eat. And he looked, and behold, there was at his head a cake baked on hot stone and a jar of water. He ate and drank and lay down again. The angel of the Lord came again a second time and touched him and said, Arise and eat, for the journey is too great for you. He rose and ate and drank and he went in the strength of that food 40 days and 40 nights to Horeb, the mount of God. So Elijah goes 40 days without food. The, in this case, the, the fasting, it kind of seems like it's, like it's more associated with the journey, right? Like there's just, like there's no McDonald's between here and there, right? Like he just, there's no, no other option. Um, and again, like there's a lot of great stuff that, that you could unpack on this story. I've, I've heard people comment that, you know, Elijah's suffering from depression, and God basically says, you know what, you need a nap and some food. (laughs) And sometimes uh, it's okay to just need sleep and a good meal. But um, anyway, so he does this 40-day journey, no food, to get to the mountain of God. Now, when he gets there, because so Elijah's hoping, planning that he's going to meet with God on this mountain. And he does, and it 's actually kind of a powerful, famous story, right? This is the one like where there's wind and there 's an earthquake, but not God was not in the wind. God was not in the earthquake, but he's in this still small voice, and, and, he, and he hears this and so like I, I'm, I'm left wondering the forty day fast was that just because of the journey that there just wasn 't anything available, or was the forty day fast preparation for this very powerful kind of famous meeting with God and the story doesn't say but when we look at other stories it does suggest that part of that fast was preparation for that very powerful meeting with God. Esther we went through the book of Esther a couple years ago Um, Esther called a citywide fast to to save both herself um, and the Jews. Uh, They told Mordecai what Esther had said. Then Mordecai told them to reply to Esther. I wanted to include this because it's such a great line. Do not think to yourself that in the king's palace you will escape any more than all the other Jews. For if you keep silent at this time, relief and deliverance will arise for the Jews from another place. But you and your father's house will perish. And who knows... "...whether you have come to the kingdom for such a time as this." Then Esther told them to reply to Mordecai, "...go gather all the Jews to be found in Susa." That's the the capital city where they were at. "...hold a fast on my behalf. Do not eat or drink for three days, day or night." So it's a complete fast, nothing, um, three days. "...I and my young women will also fast um, as you do. Then I will go to the king, though it is against the law, and if I perish, I perish." Mordecai then went away and did everything as Esther had ordered him. So in the story of Esther, um, someone had tricked the king into a law that would allow for all the Israelites, all the Jews, to be killed. Uh, But the king doesn't know that his own wife is also a Jew. Um, And so Esther needs to go before the king and plead her case. But here's the thing is that anyone who approaches the king without being summoned the, the consequence was the death penalty unless the king extended grace to you. And that is why you hear Esther saying, I will go to the king, though it is against the law, and if I perish, I perish. Right? So she, I mean, this is, she's going to walk into that room, and in about ten seconds she'll find out if it's the execution block or whether or not he extends favor to her. And, I mean, so first she just has to survive, like, the first ten seconds. But then she has to plead her case and get him to, to change his mind and, and all of these other things. So Esther risks her life in an attempt to save her people. So here we see fasting three days, three nights, but it's for the purpose of personal protection, of personal safety, but then after that as well too the, you know, the saving of, of all God's people. Daniel has a fascinating story because here you actually see a non-Christian, fa- and I... I mean, I I use that term loosely since they weren't called Christians back then. But you actually see a non-Christian fasting on behalf of the safety and protection of a Christian. Which is kind of interesting. Um, So the story of Daniel in the lion's den, right? The king has been tricked into throwing Daniel in the lion's den. Um, And, yeah, I'll I'll read this to you. The king commanded and Daniel was brought, cast into the den of lions. The king declared to Daniel, because they were friends, the king liked Daniel... May your God, whom you serve continually, deliver you. A stone was brought and laid at the mouth of the den. The king sealed it with his own signet and the signet of his lords, that nothing might be changed concerning Daniel. Then the king, because he had made this law and he had to follow it, then the king went to his palace and spent the night fasting. No deliverance were brought to him and sleep fled from him. So he he didn't sleep all night. At the break of day, the king arose and went in haste to the den of lions. As he came near to where the, the den where Daniel was, he cried out in a tone of anguish, fascinating. Um, the king declared to Daniel, "O Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God, whom you serve continually, been able to deliver you from the lions?" Then the Daniel said to the king, "O king, live forever." And then, then the story continues on. And it's, it's actually amazing because that event actually ended in almost like a kind of revival and that the king then goes to the rest of the people and says, we are going to worship the king that, or the God that Daniel serves because obviously that God is amazing and powerful. So that's the one that we're going to serve. So there's kind of a, a revival from that. Fasting by a non-Christian for the sake, for the health, for the safety, for the protection of a Christian man that he loved dearly. New Testament. Now there were in the church at Antioch, prophets and teachers and and whatever, and then it gives us a bunch of names, blah, blah, blah. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, so we got two things there, the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. What's fascinating in this is that really we don't know why they were fasting, other than just says that they were doing that. They were worshiping, they were fasting, and appear I don't know, they just I wanted to know God more or something. But then out of that, two people got called into, into long-term mission, Barnabas and Saul. So fasting is associated with worship. It's associated with prayer. But then kind of as a surprise coming out of that... God speaks to his people and calls two of them to missions. Which, I mean, that story alone is, is inspirational to, to why we should be doing more fasting. Last story for today, most famous of all of them, though, um, is where Jesus does a fast. In Luke 4, we read this. Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan, so he had just been baptized, was led by the Spirit into the wilderness for 40 days, being tempted by the devil... And he ate nothing during those days. When they were ended, he was hungry. The devil said to him, if you are the son of man, command these stones. And Luke gives us the details. There's kind of three temptations that take place. Whether or not these were the only three or whether there are several before that, we don't know. These are the three that get recorded at the end. And then at the end, um, when the devil had ended every temptation, he departed from him until an opportune time. Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit uh, to Galilee report about him, went through all the surrounding area, and he taught in their synagogues, being glorified by all. The part that I find fascinating in this is the transformation that Jesus undergoes. Um, The story begins with this. Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, was led by the Spirit into the wilderness for 40 days. And then at the end, Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit. And it's kind of one of those things where you go, Okay, was the author just using two different words to describe the, the same thing? Or, or is, there significant in the de- is there significance in the details here? Where Jesus went full of the Holy Spirit, but after this he returns in the power of the Holy Spirit. And, and I think that, like out of all the stories... That we went over this morning. I think that is the best descriptor for what fasting does. In that in all of these situations. For reasons we will never understand the side of heaven. Somehow fasting added power to all of those situations. Or that was the hope. Or that was the expectation. But that fasting somehow added power to those prayers, to those intercessions, to those requests, in, in all of it. We see fasting done in repentance, actually done in repentance of others. We saw, and these are not all the stories, there are other stories. We saw fasting done for the healing of a baby, which is a very noble cause, but that one wasn't answered. We see fasting preceding a very powerful meeting with God we see fasting for personal safety and personal protection and to save the nation of Israel. We saw a non-Christian fasting for the safety of others. We saw a church fasting, just because. And then we see Jesus doing a 40-day fast. And I actually, th- I, more and more I think that the fasting was not just preparation for ministry, but even preparation for those the, the testing from Satan. I think sometimes we get that backwards and we think, well... The devil came to Jesus when he was weak because he was hungry. But I think after a 40-day fast, I don't know if the devil knew this, but he actually came to Jesus at one of his times of one of his greatest spiritual strengths. Um, And that actually the fasting, Jesus wasn't weak at that point. Jesus was actually in in a place of great strength. We we get confused because we read that he was hungry, and we just can't imagine being spiritually strong and physically hungry at the same time. We've got one more week of fasting. Uh, Keep talking about this in your small groups. How's it going? What are you fasting for? What are you praying into? What are you learning? Uh, Has there been anything that surprised you during this time? Continue to to identify the things that that you want more than food. Find that thing that is is close to your heart and and that you know to be close to, to the heart of God. And let's see what power God pours into this situation. And then share the stories. Because in the stories, there is worship and praise in that as well, too. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for scripture. Um, And God, it's exciting to read uh, these stories, to see what happened, uh, and to get a glimpse of how it can impact and change our life. Lord, I continue to pray for this church and for everyone here and for the people who are engaging in this fasting. And Lord, we pray for more of your power to be poured into that situation, whatever it is. Lord, our desire is to grow closer to you, to, to, to see you glorified, to see your church grow and expand. Lord, for each person here, especially those who are, who are going after things in prayer and fasting, that they would encounter you in new and powerful ways, and it would be answered, whatever it is, that it would be answered. We love you, Lord, and we worship you. In your name, amen.